Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. As eager as many people are to shut the door on 2020, concerns about the coronavirus will follow us into the new year and likely continue to influence food and beverage preferences, predict trend spotters with Simrise, who forecast an increase in demand for flavors and products that are comforting, immunity-boosting, and sustainable in 2021. But after 10 months of indulging in classics for comfort and researching ingredients to enhance their health and well-being, most consumers will not settle for the same old, same old in the new year. Rather, Simrise Marketing and Consumer Insights Specialist Dylan Thomas explains in this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast that shoppers will seek products that take each of these trends to the next level with new functional ingredients, elevated flavor combinations that put a new spin on the familiar, and ingredients that allow them to explore the world and the safety of their homes. He also notes that consumer concerns about sustainability are quickly rising beyond the status of nice-to-have and becoming must-have considerations for new product development. Of these three trends, Thomas predicts the most prominent in 2021 likely will be the same one that dominated 2020, which is a desire for flavors, ingredients, and products that support a healthy lifestyle. In particular, he says consumers are looking for age-old immunity-boosting ingredients, foods and ingredients that blur the line with medicine, and products to boost energy or foster relaxation. As, you know, more and more people are worried about the pandemic and the uncertainty it brings, um, they're looking for any sort of, consumers, I should say, are looking for any sort of edge as far as um, foods that can help them with uh, immunity to help fight off um, illness, So around healthy lifestyles, we're seeing uh, a few different things. One is uh, around an area called back to the future. So we've seen consumers going back to what's happened in the past. They're taking old-time elements and techniques and things to uh, help with their health. So um, it's looking at things like therapeutic spices, adaptogens, and gut health, um, and within gut health fermentation, of course, um, as part of that, looking at things like miso and kefir, um, these things, of course, are not new. They've been around forever. That's why it's called Back to the Future. And we've seen fermentation, of course, grow steadily the last few years, but um, now it's back in the spotlight. Um, so that was one. Um, another platform within Healthy Lifestyles is around um, blurring boundaries. So we've seen sort of a, a blurring of boundaries around over-the-counter medicine and pharmacy and food. So um, a lot of the work we did was with Gen Z and millennials and um, looking at what those consumers are consuming. They're really looking for preventative health and not looking to visit the doctor regularly and trying to prevent even having to go to the doctor by consuming food and beverage. It'll actually help them with their health. And part of that is around hydration. Part of that is around um, personal care that'll help with sort of um, beautifying and anti-aging ingredients like collagen and uh, green tea, CBD, coconut water we've seen for hydration, um, goji berries and blackberries for um, berry boosters that help for radiant and healthy skin. Um, So that's another big theme there. 
One other interesting one is around natural power-up. Natural power-up we've found is a is a spectrum that consumers are looking at between um, getting a big boost, an energy boost for performance and productivity, and then on the other end, that um, element of calming, relaxing, and sleep. And then there's an area in the middle that's more about mental clarity and being creative and productive for their day, whether they're a student or for their job or what creative, whatever they, they're doing. Um, so within that, um, we see nootropics, um, so the psychoactive focus foods like uh, ginkgo and Siberian ginseng. Um, and what we've also seen is sort of a nightcap 2.0 coming around with um, things like chamomile tea that have been around forever, but maybe mixing chamomile tea with new twists. Um, golden milk moving from the morning boost, which is uh, um, normally where we've seen it the last couple of years, to more of a, a nightcap drink. Herbal teas um, coming into play with that as well. And then during the day for more of the focus area, um, a lot of green machine type of products. So um, caffeine replacements based on either green caffeine or green ingredients like wheatgrass or spirulina um, has been part of that. So that what I would say would encompass a lot of the, the healthy lifestyle elements we've been looking at. In addition to relaxation, consumers are looking for comfort from foods that remind them that there is life beyond the walls of their homes or their severely restricted areas of travel. This includes classic dishes from other countries that offer a chance to learn about different cultures or incorporating globally inspired flavors and ingredients into more familiar recipes and products. If we look more towards the comfort side, um, it's a lot about um, emotional discoveries and um, trying to basically do a couple things. One would be to travel while you're still at home um, as we're in quarantine. So we we still think consumers want to experience new things. Um, they're not happy with just having the comfort foods that they know from the past. They still want to try global flavors. So global fermented flavors is one thing that we're looking at. Um, if you think of ingredients like uh, bagung, uh, for instance, is from the Philippines. Um, it's made with anchovy, shrimp, and other spices. Um, and it's it's one thing that, of course, has popped up that's kind of an outlier in that it's not really well known at all, but it's starting to pop up in different areas that we've seen. Um, different restaurants that are still open, like uh, Lhasa in Los Angeles or um, Not Your Lola's in Dallas, as well as Rosaline in, in L.A. as well. So that's an ingredient that we think is interesting that, you know, may not be well known yet. But on the other side of things, um, we're still thinking that it's going to be more um, less adventurous, I should say, uh, for consumers, even though it's global travel. So if you think of an ingredient that's interesting like Zug, um, which is a bright and spicy cilantro-y type hot sauce um, from uh, the cuisine of Yemen, um, and it's used a lot in Israeli cuisine. Uh, that has already been in Trader Joe's, for instance. You can buy a Zug at, at Trader Joe's, I think, for the last couple of years. But it's now, I think, coming into um, an even brighter light as like, oh, okay, let's maybe try something new that we've maybe heard about or seen on a blog or on Instagram. Since we have the time at home, maybe we have a little bit of extra income to try some things that we wouldn't have tried before um, those types of ingredients that are kind of accessible at a, at a Trader Joe's or other retailers um, are coming into the light. So that's um, 
more around the world of global travel, I would say. As manufacturers and restaurants introduce globally inspired flavors or dishes to an American audience that may be unfamiliar with their cultural significance, Thomas cautions them to do their research and provide accurate, respectful context that gives credit where it's due to avoid appropriation or misrepresentation. One of the things that really helps there for us is to get chefs involved that are actually from the culture that you're working with. So if you're looking at Filipino food, consult a Filipino chef and really go, you know, ask them about the source of um, where that's coming from. So you make sure that you're not making a mistake. If you're, for instance, if we just take Filipino food as an example, maybe um, you don't want to refer to something as a street food snack, for instance, if it's more of a comfort food that someone will be making in their home for a special occasion, um, you know, that in some ways could come off really bad. So um, for us, that's what we've done uh, mostly is try to connect with chefs that are coming from the, the background of the cuisine that um, we're actually talking about. And the other thing I believe that's pretty critical is to do your consumer research um, on top of that. So we do a lot of um, we do a lot of big consumer research studies, but we also do a lot of what we would call quick and dirty consumer research as well. We have a lot of online tools that we use for quick surveys um, or pretty immediate feedback from consumers, and we can um, and target them usually by um, by background and, and things like that. And we worked with uh, multiple different multicultural agencies that are out there because um, we know we're not the experts and when it comes to something like that, and as you mentioned, it can be very touchy, we want to bring in as many third-party um, opinions and experts as we can. So um, we've worked with third-party uh, multicultural agencies that come in and they say, here's how you should conduct the research. Here's a pool of, um, you know, respondents that we're comfortable with using for, for this topic and we'll do that sort of research before we, um, you know, start to put that stuff out there. So that would be my advice for brands, I guess, is do your homework um, every time, both with the culinary side, with the chefs, mixologists, the pastry chefs from those cuisines, and then also from the consumer side to see how it is going to uh, go over with consumers before, um, you know, you launch anything. While some consumers find comfort in discovery and exploration, Others will still seek out the familiar or nostalgic, but with modern updates and elevated twists. Within comfort food, uh, a big one that we've seen is sort of taking classics and then upgrading them a little bit. So a lot's been happening with pizza, for instance, around the country. And um, we've seen some some, uh, more fine dining, high-level chefs that can't do their normal day-to-day fine dining, you know, operations with the pandemic, moving into things like pizza. Um, one that comes to mind is uh, Noah Sandoval in Chicago, um, who um, is a really high-level chef there who has um, opened a pizza place where it's like really, really high-level pizza um, with familiar ingredients, but also some new and trending ingredients as well. And there's other examples around the country. Um, there's also been a lot of uh, – people from normal jobs that have sort of moved into the comfort food space as sort of a necessity, whether they lost their job. Um, we've heard about some um, some different people, uh, for instance, in Canada, 
that move from their uh, professional job into creating, uh, I think it was Thai or Filipino comfort food. Um, I saw an article recently about um, a group of Filipino nurses who were um, starting their own food business because they all needed lunch, essentially, and they're creating a comfort. So we've seen some different ingredients growing there. Um, one is around uh, shishimi. Sorry, I'm pronouncing that wrong. Shishimi or, or togarashi maybe is a better way to say it. Uh, togarashi is one that's trending. It's commonly used on uh, ramen. And um, we've seen that it's still popular during takeout times. Um, some restaurants are using it in their um, okonomiyaki, for instance, or their mac and cheese, or their tacos, not just in ramen. So that is an interesting one for us to see that ingredient jumping into other categories. Um, and then also in the, the comfort space, we've been seeing a lot of um, taking uh, normal comfort foods that you would make at home, not necessarily get from a restaurant, and upgrading them to more of a, a, a chef-like um, experience. So things that would sort of create a premium indulgence, like whip textures or um, maybe creating foamy textures for your key at home, um, for instance, that maybe you wouldn't have the time for if you were normally commuting. Um, we still see southern and low country cuisine uh, being popular at home and not just the not just fried chicken, for instance, but taking it up a notch um, and uh, looking at things like doing Korean fried chicken at home or bringing in sorghum as a sweetener from the south, um, maybe making Taiwanese-style hot chicken, Mexican hot chicken, um, sort of all these different twists on these really big classics that have been morphed in different ways over the last couple of years from sort of like Nashville hot chicken, for instance, and taking buffalo wings and doing different versions of that. Um, and the last part I would say of comfort is around nostalgia. Um, and nostalgia is definitely never going away. And it's even been more highlighted during the pandemic and we think we'll be going into next year. And uh, a lot of that we've seen on, on TikTok, which I never thought I would say in um, <laughs> the last few years that, TikTok has some influence there with um, a lot of users taking uh, nostalgic um, things and then creating new um, uh, dishes or new fun things out of it. And I would take that with a grain of salt because a lot of the TikTok things that we've seen um, are actually just last for a couple weeks or maybe a couple days in some cases. But I think the overall trend of looking at nostalgic ideas and bringing them back into um, – something that's more trendier in Vogue is uh, is definitely going to continue. So we've seen, like, um, some chefs making their own versions of uh, French fries and a Frosty, for example, or uh, red curry mac and cheese, foie gras s'mores, um, popcorn oysters, foie gras tacos. Those are some more of the restaurant versions. And then consumers at home also doing little twists, so maybe – um, trying to make their own donuts, for instance, and adding fun ingredients like yuzu, um, a lot of those types of things that are in that sort of taking nostalgia and taking it up a notch with a twist. So I would say those are some of the big areas that we've we've seen. And I know that a lot of what I mentioned in there are some fancier ingredients that are mixed in as well. Um, that's just because we're always looking for what is new and what's what's different because um, we're trying to maybe get out ahead of it a little bit as well. So even going into 2022, what we'll start to 
to uh, pop up once consumers get back to a, a normal level. The third flavor trend that Simrise is tracking for 2021 is less about consumers' individual desires and more about their concerns for the planet. Thomas explains that sustainability is also not going away in the new year, but it does open a conversation for introducing consumers to ingredients that might not be super trendy now, but will have a long runway for development well beyond 2021. So outside of health and outside of comfort, um, I think what we've seen in the middle of our global work is that um, the um, whole space around sustainability is also not going away. So I think um, reusing ingredients or um, trying to not create food waste, all those sorts of things are still going to be very relevant. Um, and I think part of that as well is around plant-based, um, of course, which everyone's talking about. But um Within our global um, trend report, um, we have a whole section around natural goodness, and uh, some of the subtrends within there are touching nature, um, second love, and climavore, and those are all sort of centered around how do we um, bring in more nature, more naturalness into ingredients and foods and flavors. So, um, you know, thinking of things like herbs and floral ingredients, um, botanicals, roots and spices, um, when you think about second love, it's sort of the trash to treasure um, idea. So things that have a second life. So it could be discarded parts of a fruit or vegetable or things that maybe wouldn't be used. So think about like some watermelon seeds, for instance, or sunflower husk or fruit pulp. Um, we've even seen things like uh, coffee uh, grounds, um, being reused in different ways and putting them into different products that have already been spent. Of course, spent grains have been around for a while. Uh, and then in the climavore section, it's more about um, thinking beyond the ingredient list, um, you know, thinking about what are you doing for the environment and a product. Um, is it climate friendly? Um, is there ingredients being used with lower environmental impact? Is there biodiversity involved? Is it bird-friendly, for example? Is it shade-grown? Um, some of those things, um, you know, are we being carbon neutral? All those things are uh, a little bit tougher for us since we are making flavors and ingredients because it's easy to say this flavor is trending and, you know, you should put this in your product. And what's tougher is to say, yes, this flavor is um, maybe not the trendiest or most popular, but it is really good for the environment or this ingredient. Um, and it is something that we have a, um, for instance, a, a supply chain that will support it in an environmental way. Um, so that's one of the things we focus on as well. So anywhere where we can help our customers um, create a more sustainable um, product, then that's something that we always, um, you know, mention to them as well. So, an example of that is vanilla for us. We have um, um, a fully integrated supply chain in, in vanilla back to the source in Madagascar, and uh, we work with about 7,000 farmers in Madagascar producing vanilla, and we get back to those farmers by helping them out with um, uh, medical costs and schooling for their children um, and a lot of other um, cool programs that help support those farmers and make sure they have an income, and then we can also supply sustainable vanilla to our um, customers, and that's something that they can promote as well when they're promoting their product, is that, hey, we, the vanilla that we use is, is as sustainable as it gets. 
Well, Simrise typically bases its insights and predictions on conversations with top chefs, mixologists, pastry chefs, and other industry insiders. Thomas noted that more regular people are cooking at home now, and so he's excited to see what they come up with in the new year as they look for ways to keep eating at home exciting and to reduce food waste. With that, we've come to the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope you'll join me again in the future for another installment. And to ensure you remember, I encourage you to subscribe to us. Until next year, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive and profitable week and a safe and happy new year. 